You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. What is happening? It's on the You're listening to the AME Radio Show. Welcome to the AME Radio Show, the show that is the voice of artists and entertainers everywhere. I'm your host, Jason Dowd, and we are here Saturday night just chilling out and going to have some good conversations with some really cool people. And I hope that their story will inspire you and open you up to see the different things that they have going on in their lives that they hope that you will enjoy as well. Okay, so before we get into anything, let's go check out our websites, www.theamemagazine.com. That is the central hub for everything that is the AME experience, the radio, uh, television, and magazine. So if you miss anything, it's all right there. You can also see all of the links to our social media networks, so please like us, follow us there. You can also uh, sign up for our newsletter as well. So there's lots of things to do while you're there, and we encourage you to go check that out anytime you want. It's free. We don't charge anything. Okay, so... Today we have a couple of great guests coming up. I think you guys are going to really enjoy. Uh, we have Christine Horn. She is an actress, and she is she was actually part of the the assassination of Gianni Versace, the American crime story, and she's got some new things that she's got coming out. So we're going to be talking to her about basically her career and all the things that she has coming up. Now, there's an interesting thing about this Versace murder, because I was there just a few hours after he was killed. Didn't know what was happening. I just came down there for a baseball game, and we drove on South Beach and saw it. So I actually took pictures of the thing, because I'd never seen an actual crime scene like that until that. So uh, I didn't realize at the time that was Versace. So we'll, we'll get into that with her as well. I think you guys will find that pretty interesting. And then we have uh, Patrick Kilpatrick coming on. He is... He's been in over 170 movies. He plays a great villain. And he just created a brand new book called Dying for, the, Dying for a Living, Sins and Confessions of a Hollywood Villain and Libertine Patriot. So I think you guys are going to enjoy this. He's a, he's a fascinating guy, and I was really, I'm really excited to be able to have the chance to talk to him about his career and what he loves to do the most. Okay, so um, I guess one thing before we get started into the interviews here... I don't know if you've seen it, but there's been kind of a little bit of an attack on Christmas. The PC police are out, and the one song that they're going after specifically is Baby It's Cold Outside. They're saying it's because of the Me Too movement, and it's a a sign of date rape. Now, I don't know. I've never taken it like that. Maybe my interpretation is different than somebody else's. But for me, that song is about a guy that doesn't want his girlfriend to go home, right? doesn't mean he's going to rape her. doesn't mean he's going to force himself on her or molest her in any way, shape, or form. It just, you know, I didn't want to see my girlfriend go either. I mean, she's my wife now, but I didn't want to see her go home. You know, so, I mean, I don't know. It kind of depends on how you take that, but I think it could be skewed both ways. Uh, what, what's your take on this? If you, want to, if you want to pipe in, please go ahead and talk to me on Twitter about that and uh, use uh, the hashtag AME experience. And also, what's going on right now is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is also being attacked. They want it banned <clears throat> because of the fact that there is such a, um, a difference in, in the tone of how they treat women and people with differences. But you've got to remember, in the end, everything comes out okay. So yes, we're going to have these things in life. We will. We're, we're, it, this is just part of life. You're never going to get that one perfect, perfect person that's not going to bring stuff up like that. By hiding it doesn't get rid of it either. It just spews and, and oozes until it gets ready to explode. So what we need to do is look at this and look at the whole thing. Yes, there was, they, were, they were picked on people with disabilities. But guess what? We see that every single solitary day, even to, the, even to this day. That doesn't mean it's influenced by Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. But in the end, people see the beauty of all of this and the strength of these women who decided to go out on their own and find Rudolph. That's the way it is. But you also got to remember, these were made in the 1960s. Things were a lot different back then. So just lighten up a little bit, people. It's a great great story with a great moral uh, ending, and uh, it's a classic, and I hate to see it go. But 
with that in mind, you might want to get out and, and tape them on your DVR, get them on a DVD somehow, some way, because they may cease to exist next year. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we have Christine Horn on the line. So don't go anywhere. And, and uh, also, I'm going to be playing a uh, Christmas carol in just a second. So we'll be right back after this. I'm Gladdie, the dachshund, the face of Gladdie's goodies. Aren't you worried about your pet's health? My parents were too, especially since I developed pancreatitis. They couldn't find any treats I could eat, so they made some. Our natural treats are healthy for all dogs, with and without health issues. We have lots of delicious flavors like chicken, turkey, salmon, sweet potato, beef, and more. With our homemade treats, you won't worry about the contents because they have no chemicals, fillers, or bad ingredients. Go to gladdiesgoodies.com now to get your fur friend a bag and pick them up some swag while you're there. You'll be glad you did. Remember, we have the treats and swag to make their tails wag. Again, that's gladdiesgoodies.com. Again, that's gladdiesgoodies.com. Hey guys, it's Julie Mae Silverstein from Lydia on Funk, and you're listening to the AME Radio Show. From our family to yours. Season's greetings from the AME Experience. Now, enjoy this holiday favorite.
Welcome back to the show, everybody. We have on the line with us our special guest. Her name is Christine Horn. She's an award-winning actress with 20-plus years in the industry. She's also doing something really cool, which is she is a life and career coach for actors. Uh, she was on stage across the United States with The Lion King, one of my favorite uh, Broadway plays. And she's also been in some pretty cool uh, movies that we're going to be talking to her about and, and television shows and uh, a lot more. So we're going to learn all about her. Welcome to the show, Christine. How are you doing today? Thank you so much. I am doing amazing. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And it looks like you're doing some pretty amazing stuff with your with yourself, too, which is pretty uh pretty interesting and 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 also exciting because you know you're doing what you love to do and and you're and you're uh, making a life for yourself yes i'm so so grateful it has been a journey as most performers or artists know it's it's not an overnight thing though we we would love it to be (laughs) um so i'm i'm definitely beginning to see the fruit of my labor which has been awesome so tell me a little bit about yourself when did you want to become an actress I was one of those people who knew I wanted to be a performer. You know, when some kids are like five and they're like, I want to be an astronaut or a teacher, I always used to tell my mom I want to be a singer, actor, and a dancer. I just said that since I was little. Uh, so I always took, I was started with dance class and took ballet, jazz, and tap, moved on to performing in storytelling contests in elementary school, then I went to, when we moved to Georgia, because I'm from New York originally, from the Bronx, mm-hmm. my mom moved us to Georgia when I was headed to 10th grade and moved me to a performing arts high school called Tri-Cities High School for the Performing Arts. And from there, I just, it was just something I always loved. I went to a musical theater conservatory called AMDA in New York. So, yeah, I just always stayed on that path. And, of course, I've had many jobs you know, a nine to five, I've waited tables, all that stuff, but I never lost sight of my ultimate dream. So even while I was working and having side hustles and one of my many jobs, I always found a way to do theater or commercials or try to do film or television, something to stay connected to the art. Wow. And, you know, it's pretty interesting. You just said that your parents moved you when you were in 10th grade and you went into a, a performing arts uh, school, which is not easy mm-hmm. to do. First of all, it's not like you're just going down the street. You actually move from one state to another state. Uh, you're in tenth grade, which is like right in the pivotal time of your school. School, uh, and then on top of it, you're 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 trying to be an actor, an actress, and and fitting in. Uh, was that tough for you? Extremely. My mother would tell you that I was extremely depressed because what I didn't tell you was we moved in the middle of the summer, and she didn't warn me. we went to Atlanta to visit and I'm using air quotes for that for those of you since you can't see me and next thing I know we were packing up our apartment and two weeks later we were you know in New York we just called anything that's not New York the south so I was like we're moving to the south and so we left you know fire departments and sirens and to crickets and silence so no it was a extremely hard adjustment. In hindsight, it was the best decision my mother could have made. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was extremely hard. But luckily, once the school year started, I was in heaven. I was in, taking theater classes, and I was in the video club. I wrote for the school newspaper. Like, I was, it was amazing. But, you know, I guess those are the hard decisions that parents have to make. Yeah. And, and you're going from one extreme to the other, because I, I come from Connecticut, too, so when I moved to Florida, it was like a cultural shock when I moved down here. It was not anything that I was used to. So did you have the My, Co- My Cousin Vinny effect where you come down here and, like, you know, <laughs> y- you can sleep with all the noise, the bombs are going off, that's fine, but, you know, you hear a little screech owl and, you, and you're up, you, you hear crickets, you're up, you know, you're not used to it. Yeah, it was spooky. It was just spooky. And, it, you know, it's, it, Atlanta, well, I would say Georgia, gets very dark, you know, there's not a ton of street lights, you know, if you're in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was it was just weird. You know, I mean, locusts and crickets and... I just, you know, I think my mom said the house was haunted. Like, there were so many things going on. So I was, and it was just me, my mom, my little two-year-old brother, and my sister who was on the way. Mm. So, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a challenge also for my mom being a single parent and trying to support, you know, three kids and to still instill uh, hope and, you know, to have me at the forefront of her mind. I'm forever grateful for that. So, you know, I'm sitting here reading uh, some of the talking points that were sent over to me, and, and you were actually in the assassination of G- 
Gianni uh, Versace, the American Crime Story. Yes. Now, here's something yes. really crazy about this. I actually have a connection to that. Now, not the, not, not the movie. I was da I went down with my dad. It was my very first baseball game I was going to go see with him, a, a professional baseball game. It was the Florida Marlins versus the Dodgers. And we go down there, right? It's on a Friday afternoon. and um, Or was it Saturday? I can't remember exactly when. But it was, it was like the weekend. And when we get down there, he's like, I've never been to Miami. He goes, well, well, I have, but I was a child. So this is the first time I could, I could enjoy it. And I said, let's go down. Let's go down. Um, uh, South Beach and go see what's what it's all about because I've always heard about it. So we're, as we're driving by, we see this house and there's blood all over the all over the uh, the concrete. There's uh, the the strip the the uh, caution tape. You can't go anywhere near it. Uh, right on right on the beach. And wow. I was like, oh my gosh, somebody got killed. I can't believe this. I had no idea that was Versace laying on the ground wow. when I drove by. And then on top of it, where I stayed. Cunanan was sitting there in the in a in his uh, houseboat, not even three miles from where I was. How crazy is that? Wow, you're part. That's a part of history. <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's just dumb luck. I felt like Forrest Gump, you know, just happened to be walking <laughs> by something major. <laughs> so I mean, seriously, you're not even realizing what was happening. Yet. It was very eerie to be in that in that mansion when we flew down to Miami to shoot. I mean, of course, it's been you know you know, touched up with it being a hotel and everything now, but still the energy is in that building. Yeah. And it was, it was just wild. And it was crazy, too, while we were shooting because they didn't shut down South Beach. Right. They tried to put some tape on that corner, but, you know, with tons of just tourists and passerbys just standing around, as I imagined it was, you know, on that actual day. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a great experience, too, just to work with that cast. It was awesome. I bet. And yet, like I said, I have a, I have a, 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 fa a fascination about this particular story that was on American Crime Story because I know I think they had one on O.J. Simpson and, and some other ones and stuff. So this one has a has a personal um, experience for me. Did you learn anything about uh, the the uh, the murder and the Versace family or anything from doing this particular uh, series? Well, what I learned, we studied more because of the role that I did. We really, were focusing on the serial killer. We were focusing on Kunanin mm -hmm. and just just how dark he was and and how conniving but still charming, like reading through different books and, and talking to people who were a part of it, they would come on set and it was just it was that was the that's the part that was really interesting, going into the mind of this of this killer. And those kinds of shows and people always intrigue me anyway, like what makes someone do what they do? And especially at that time, and I played a role where we weren't really searching. You know, I was in the FBI, and we weren't really doing all we could to find this person. So it was very interesting, and, and it just tapped into the stuff that I like to watch anyway on television. Well, I remember the day that we tried to get out of there because he was captured, like, not even two days after we, we left, but the entire South Beach was shut down. You could not get across that bridge without giving some type of identification uh, they searched your car, so I had a really hard time getting off the beach when that happened, and I had to go through those checkpoints. So I remember, I remember all that and how crazy it was. But you know what? I think really shocked me about this story was that Andrew Cunanan went and killed all the the people he slept with because he thought that somebody gave him AIDS, if I'm not mistaken, and he never had AIDS to begin with. Wow, I didn't even know that part. So wow, I'm that's like super deep. Yeah, so they th he thought Versace gave him gave him AIDS too, and he, and he didn't have it. So I mean, the guy was completely an, an insane man, and and I, yeah. I I know he went from coast to coast to coast killing everybody. So I mean, it was just a matter of time before he caught everybody. But I don't, I think some people actually got lucky and 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 avoided his, the fate that that Versace got. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's wild what what people will do. You mm -hmm. just never know. But see, st stuff like that's fun. I, li I like learning about these. It, 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 I like learning about these situations, and you know, they tell you uh, you get to see it kind of firsthand without actually being there with the with the actual people that did it. But you get to kind of see how things progressed, and you learn how the evidence brought up against here and uh, this person and whatever. One of my guilty pleasures is Law and Order SVU. Yes. Like like many people's on all day and night. <laughs> but something about I think. You know, it, you know, some stories are wrapped nice with a little bow. Here's your happy ending. But I think 
dissecting it and when you get to step in the detective seat, you know, and try to figure it out, I think that's what challenges me. That's what I like. Mm-hmm. Now, you're also on a recurring role in season five of Bosch on Amazon. What's this show about? If somebody doesn't have uh, Amazon Prime or anything like that to see, what's this show about? Well, at its very basic level, because I'm so new to it, it's about uh, Detective Bosch. And let's just say he doesn't always follow the rules. Mm-hmm. So there are times where he has broken the law and he's being investigated for different things. Or I know for each season throughout the different episodes, they'll be investigating a certain crime that's happened in town. It's kind of a slow burn of how a lot of people like to describe it, but you end up getting so sucked into into the storylines the, as they change each season. I think at the root of it, they, still, they have the family and the police unit that are always recurring, but the cases change. So in season five coming up, I think they just, they're almost done with principal photography. Um, my character, I can't give much away, but she has been through a very traumatic experience. And so we spend several episodes working up to a court case to reveal what has happened and why it's happened and who's responsible. But it's one of many throughout. And they are very, actually, to be honest, very top secret about the storylines and the plots um, just to keep, you know, the interest going. But it's worth it. If you have, um, I'm still actually on season one myself. Even before I auditioned for the show, I was starting to get into it. So it just, it always makes my day when I book a show that I actually like and actually watch. Oh, absolutely. That just makes it more fun, especially knowing yeah. that you're a part of this thing now, which, you know, you get to be a part of the legacy of the, of the show. Absolutely. As that really, that's, and that's, that's something that's, that's important to me, getting to leave my stamp or getting just to be a part of something. You know, there are some shows that have slipped by me before I moved back to Los Angeles. I'm like, oh, man, I would love to be on that show one day, and then it's off the air. So, yeah, I'm glad I, I got on it. And when does season five come out? When, when will we be able to see it? That I don't know. I, I want to guesstimate sometime mid-2019, mid but I, I have not been provided that information. Mm. Okay. And I've also seen that you're going to be on uh, Timeless on NBC. You're portraying Harriet Tubman, and uh, obviously she's, yes. an, she's an American hero. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that. Well, unfortunately, at this time, Timeless has been canceled. Mm-hmm. They are coming back for a uh, two-hour series finale to wrap it all up for the fans, which, which the clock blockers, that's what they call themselves, are very happy about. But I was on this, this they had two seasons, and so I was on the second season finale, um, episode nine. It was an episode called The General. And I had an opportunity to play the iconic American hero, is what I call her, Harriet Tubman. And the whole episode, basically, the way the show works, this crew goes back in time to make sure that the bad guy doesn't change the course of history. And certainly, we would not want to revert back to not being freed. <laughs> and so it was a very, it was a pivotal episode and a p- pivotal character. And um, it was awesome to work with that that cast. And it was just one of those dream roles, to be honest, a bucket list role to play this woman, portray her, and to show her her heart and her strength and her courage. Um, and then to do it on a, a network TV show was really, really great. And, uh, I mean, filled with, you know, horses and a lot of shooting. I got to be bring up my badass side, which was fun. <laughs> love that. I love that. Now, you know, I got to And see- it's still on Hulu, by the way, for, for people who are fans of the show. If you go to Hulu and, or, or uh, iTunes or something like that, I'm sure you can still find the show there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's true. And, you know, coming from, uh, you know, uh, Georgia yourself, have you ever been to the Hay House up in Macon, Georgia? No, I have not. Because there's... But a, Macon, Macon's a little ways away, about an hour is. or so away, so I didn't spend much time out there. It is. Um, I, my dad used to live there, and there was, this, there was a place called the Hay House. It was this gorgeous, you know, uh, plantation-style house. And what I understand is it played a pivotal role in the Underground Railroad because they would bring the slaves up there, they would get them through these tunnels, and these tunnels went all the way underneath Macon, all the way down into the cemetery. Um, I think it's called Oak Lawn Cemetery, and that's actually where Dwayne Allman is buried. And you come out of this this little like uh, hatch in there, and you run through the cemetery. And at the bottom of the cemetery, there was the um, 
the uh, uh, railroads that would actually take them up north and get them to freedom. And I got to walk in some of these. I actually didn't know what it was at first, but it's right next to a grave. So you're literally like walking in the dirt with buried people right next to you. And it, was, it, it really gave me a perspective of what these people had to go through for freedom. And I'll tell you what, that's, it, it's very inspiring. Yeah, and that's why getting an opportunity to to portray Harriet Tubman was it's a responsibility and it I mean it's very it's one of those super to me kind of spiritual moments, you know, while I was out there filming and just thinking about my ancestors and people who I mean, who just risked their lives, you know. You had you know, I mean, just there was a whole system and the fact that this woman was part of creating this system to connect people from state to state without them getting caught. And she went back so many times to get more people. She was a spy. You know, it was just, it was so many things to learn about her, yet so many things that were still a mystery. So it was, like I said, definitely a bucket list role, mm -hmm. truly. Now, you're also on A Haunting of, of Hill House that is on Netflix. And um, you, you, I wanted to ask you about this because is that based on any true story at all? Do you know? I, oh, I, I know it's based off of a novel from years ago. So I don't know if that novel was based off a true story. But, you know, and I'm kind of a punk when it comes to scary, scary TV shows and <laughs> movies, so it actually took me a while to get through it. Uh, but what's so good about The Haunting of Hill House, everyone who's seen it, it's on Netflix, I'm, I'm in episode three of that, is it's, you get to really learn about each member of this family and what they experienced in this haunted house that the dad bought hoping to flip the house, turning out where, he, you know, flipping really wasn't an option, which you find out when you watch the show, but each character goes through so much and has such a history there, you can't help but wait want to, you know, sit through and try to muster through to get to the answer for that episode and see what happened and why this ghost is here and why this person is being haunted and why they have this special skill. So it was, it was really good. And luckily, you know, the part that I had personally did not involve any, like, ghosts situations. <laughs> uh, so, um, but it was, you know, it's not like, you know, it's certainly not a gore kind of horror film or just, you know, cheap thrills. It's it's that slow moving and then all of a sudden it gets you or they get in your head. And I think that's why it's so good. So if you're a fan of anything thriller, horror, you know, you're going to love it. That's cool. I love stuff like that. And now you're also doing something which you're really passionate about, and that is that you are a life and career coach for actors. Um, yeah. What got you into doing that? You know, I was... I've been a coach in some way for quite some time. I actually began as a health coach. Just years ago, I was working on my health and wanted to learn more. I kind of became this go-to person for health. People were just asking advice all the time. So I was like, well, let me go to school for it. And I became a health coach and got really involved about with life coaching and health coaching. And I would find that the thing that would grab, that I would gravitate toward was the goal setting and really helping people do their mental blocks. And so I focused just on that. And then when I moved back to Los Angeles in, at the top of 2017, I just found myself working with more and more actors. And one day one of my girlfriends, Jessica, she said, Christine, why don't you just focus on actors? That's what you love. Anyway, it feels like it comes easy to you. And I'm like, you're right. And I just I created a show, an online um, a YouTube Facebook Live show called Actors Daily Bread. And where I would just pop on very casually and basically take people on the journey with me on a day-to-day -day basis from being an actor, giving advice. And that started, that kind of put me in the seat of being a mentor to hundreds of actors. And I created a community on Facebook, it's still there, called the Hollywood-bound actors. And my whole thing was I really wanted to inspire actors like me who were from Georgia or from, you could be from Baltimore, New York, L.A., Chicago, a small podunk town and anywhere, and have a desire to be Hollywood-bound. And so Hollywood-bound to me is not about actually having to move to Hollywood, but more so about a mindset on how to work and how to survive in this industry because it is tough. And there's so many things that I didn't know. Because I lived in Los Angeles in 2011 after I left Lion King, and I wasn't ready. And that happens to a lot of actors out here. My resume wasn't ready. My mindset wasn't ready. I didn't know what it took to survive here and not lose it right. and not 
get sucked into God knows what that could happen in this town. And so I wanted to find a way to give back. And, you know, it's, yes, it's a business. You know, I do, naturally, people just wanted to work with me closer, one-on-one, and how can I work with you? And so I started mentoring people and seeing their success, and it's just grown. And so I have the Hollywood Bound Actors, which is a free Facebook community. Anybody can join who's an actor or have a desire. But then I also have a, a virtual academy that I created called the Booking Magnet Academy. And that, you know, I call myself a booking magnet. I'm a self-proclaimed booking magnet. I'm very big, Jason, in the law of attraction and, and being very intentional about what I expect for my career, what I want, and the positivity that I want to spread to the world. And so that's what I want to make sure that I put out so that it comes back to me. And so I teach other actors, uh, I call it your mama. I teach them about their mindset, their acting technique, their marketing and their audition technique, because you, you need all of that in this town. Yeah. Craft alone is not going to get it. You know, people think, I'm a great actor. I should, I should get discovered. Someone will find me. It's like, no. You also have to market yourself. You're a business. Yeah. So I, it's, it's all of that. As you can hear, I'm very passionate about it, and I just know how frustrating it is to feel stuck and to feel like, man, I wish someone would just tell me, keep it real with me. Tell me just what to do, you know, instead of me just, keep knocking my head against the wall, you know? So, I hear you. I mean, yeah. I, I, I talk to a lot of people, and I think a lot of people believe that, okay, I got, I got this little bug. I'm an actor. I want to, you know, as long as I get out to L.A., everything will be fine. I just show up to my first edition, <laughs> and everything's going to be happening. I mean, I see it. Look at, look at, look at those, the movies and television. It, it's it's, it's going to be a piece of cake, and it's not. Yeah. And this is where they go out there, and they get, they get slapped across the face really hard. In fact, I've realized that the music art and, and acting industries are some of the most cutthroat backstabbing oh, places yes. that you can be in. And you wouldn't think it the way that it's portrayed in, in the beautiful things that we see and enjoy on television and, and on CDs and music and on the radio and stuff. But it is tough. And you know, I'm it glad that, you, that you've walked there, you know what it's like, and now you can help other people that are trying to get into the industry. Because, I mean, sometimes that one little, that one little shot is all it takes to, to, to completely derail them, even though they have a lot of talent. They just can't let that get them down. Yeah, I mean, this is we have signed up, and I'm a singer, too. I have a couple of albums out that I self-produced, and I know how challenging being a musician is and an artist, and we have signed up to live a life of rejection most mm-hmm. times. Yeah. We, we are truly judged on a daily basis. Our job is to audition. And we get judged, and you have to just develop this tough skin. And so it, that's, that's the stuff most people aren't talking about. They see glitz, glamour, red carpets, movie premieres, but there's so many no's before those yeses come. You know, as much as I'm on television, I'm, there's so many auditions that I have where I get nothing. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I believe I always teach my clients about book, booking the room. I was like, don't worry about booking that one job. You want to book the room so that you win fans at that casting office or with that producer because he, only one actor can get that job. But just make relationships, and that's what will guide you through your career. That is absolutely true. Well, yeah. Christine, we are just about out of time. How can people follow you? How can, how can they see you on social media, websites, anything else? If they have any questions, uh, how, they can, how can they check out your uh, coaching stuff and so much more? Yes, a good way to start is just to find me at christinehorn.com, that's H-O-R-N, and on Instagram and Facebook, I'm actress Christine Horn, so you can, once you click any of those, you'll be connected to me, but this was an awesome interview, I thank you so much. Well, thank you for coming on and and sharing your expertise and and what you love to do, and you know, I just, I, I hope that we can get you back on when you get more stuff coming out. Sounds good, thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Don't go anywhere. I promise you there's going to be more, and you're going to enjoy it. So uh, we'll be right back after this. Do you love horror, the strange and unusual fantasy creatures or urban legends? Do you want to step inside a dream or nightmare? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd and his award-winning photographic collections by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com. Get inside his mind and experience his inner weird. (laughs) 
Hi, it's Maurice Bernard. You're listening to the AME Radio Show. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Now, I'll tell you what. We have a really cool guest coming on. He has been in over 170 films. Can you imagine that? I mean, I can only imagine being in five, and I'd be excited, but he's done 170 of them over the time, and he has played one of the, some of the best villains you can imagine. So you've probably seen him if you went to the, and, and watched a movie and seen him on the silver screen. His name is Patrick Kilpatrick, and now he's also released a brand-new uh, book called uh, Dying for a Living, Sins and Confessions of a Hollywood Villain and uh, Libertine Patriot, which is on Amazon. And we're excited to talk to him about his career, his book, and more. So welcome to the show, Patrick. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Um, I was, uh, I'm working on Volume 2, so I was kind of burned out. And then I started working, Ken, watching Ken Burns' uh, Civil War, mm-hmm. and I had a good old cry. Wow. Um, I urge any American to see that documentary. I've seen it before, but it's just nuts. Well, it's hard to uh, understand what being an American is like without having seen that documentary. Wow. When did you watch that, just recently? I just started it again today. It's such a... We really owe a debt to Ken Burns and his team because I watched prohibition uh, lately and I think the same thing is true of that we can't really understand ourselves as Americans unless you watch that too I mean these are pivotal junctures in American life and they've defined who we are Um, so anyway a slight aside you know my whole body aches from working and then I began to watch that and I had a a pretty good cry because the tragedy of that and I, my body feels great now wow. so there you go well i'll tell you 170 170 films plus you're writing and you're writing volume two you are a busy guy i'll tell you what well volume two is already written we had a 550 page book but uh we uh i and others felt that that was too long so we divided it about two books of 300 pages so it's already written, but we front-loaded a lot of Hollywood stuff in Volume 1, which is out now. And, and um, so it really my duty is just to find out what I've already used and to elevate what I have. Well, that's, it's pretty cool because normally I, I do things a little bit differently, but since we brought the book up, um, it, it piqued my interest in this. I think we'll start off with this. So... Um, is is volume two uh, an extension of volume one? And um, did you just like not have enough time, or uh, did you just want to cut it a little bit short for volume one and then continue on ex- on a volume two? Well, a five hundred and fifty page, six hundred page book is sort of Norman Mailer esque. Um, I think, given uh, uh, the sensibility of modern uh, reading audiences. Um, it was much better to focus on, uh, given the fact that what most people will find most interesting about this book is the Hollywood stuff, um, I still, in any memoir, you got to tell about your upbringing and my writing background, because I've written for every magazine in New York, and I came from an interesting background. My father was a World War II hero, and struck out George Bush to win the National Collegiate Baseball Championship and then founded Cigna Corporation. And my mother uh, had some mental uh, illness issues. And so I had a very privileged upbringing. It was marred by her illness. So one of the things I was trying to get at is how do you end up playing villains in all that number of films and television shows? And you can't really do that without starting in in the origin. 
But we, as I said, we front-loaded a lot of Hollywood stuff into Volume 1. Volume 2 is is all show business, right, from page 1. Mm-hmm. So um, that's how we... And also, you know, as a creative person, you evolve as you're going along. So I'm really happy with that decision. Also, I've had a, a crash graduate course in New York book publishing and book promotion and all of that. So um, I'm very excited about volume one currently and of a national book tour that I'm on, of which you're a part, and volume two coming up hopefully Valentine's Day uh, 2019. So that's really kind of just around the corner in itself. Well, they're companion books, um, same place. So um, uh, they've always been looked upon as a set. Right. So, um, uh, I'm very happy with the division. So, you have so much in your career, doing so many things. How do you? This is the this is the thing I was always having trouble with, especially if I was going to write my own memoir. Is how would I narrow down the stuff to keep it relevant? Because you want to put everything in. I mean, that's just that's just your nature. You know, you're excited about what you've done and. Everything has some type of place, but you've got to narrow it down. So how did you narrow down some of the things that you were going to put into this book and experiences? So ultimately, like any writing project or acting project or film project, you've got to be ruthless and, as they say, kill your <coughs> babies. Um, I, um, you know, I, I, I wrote for every magazine in New York and most of the ad agencies in the 70s and uh, early 80s, and then was a playwright, and then have been a screenwriter as well as an actor. So you get a really strong sense of story and what's compelling to an audience or a viewer or a reader. And um, so if I'm enthralled, uh, I'm pretty much assured that an audience is going to find it interesting. One of the reasons I started writing the book was I knew I had so much insider intel about Hollywood and so much behind the scenes about literally hundreds of in front of the camera people, everybody from Sean Connery to Tom Cruise to all the action guys, uh, action women, Naomi Watts, Pam Greer. I mean, and then couple that with the behind the scenes production geniuses of the last generation that I knew I had a lot of tale. And so, um, and when people would tell stories, I knew I had a story that usually tops whatever they were saying and you don't want to top people in conversation so I knew I had to find a repository for the story mm-hmm. um, you narrow it down by um, long experience with writing if it doesn't sing if it's not scintillating if it's not entertaining if it has a hint of banality or boredom it's out of there or you figure out a way to say it in such a way that it's arresting and compelling. Mm-hmm. So um, being a professional writer, that's what you that's what you learn how to do. Right. The other thing is, I don't want to diminish my background when you're writing advertising. What do you have to do? Um, you have to cause a person to reach in their pockets and send money. So whatever you write and create has to be very communicative and also very compelling. So uh, I have a strong background in that. So I know how to do that um, and how to tell a story that's arresting. Look, if you get a screenplay, and I've written many of them and had many produced, and uh, if if you don't have, if you don't capture people from the first paragraph, the first couple of phrases, you're probably going to lose people really rapidly. Mm-hmm. People, in, particularly in L.A., they don't read unless it's really strong. So um, that's what you try to do over the length of 300, 500 pages, however long your book is. Right. You know, um, I guess one of the next things we should cover is... Uh, what was the inspiration behind this book and what's the book about, the first one, and then we can kind of go in towards the second one. Well, the whole enterprise had many, I call it legs or goals. Um, 
One, I want, it was an examination of how does a man end up spending his life playing largely villains? How does one succeed in Hollywood? How does one overcome the challenges of life? And I had some serious ones. As I mentioned, my mother's <coughs> mental illness, and I had a life-threatening, near-fatal car crash when I was younger. Um, uh, how does one negotiate that? The politics and political background I came from and how do you fit that in to a very specialized environment in Los Angeles? You want to be, by turns, poignant and arresting and provocative and uh, all of that. So um, the book had many, many goals. Um, a story, like a ballet, is tender one moment and brutal another. Mm -hmm. uh, like lovemaking, it's ravaging and submissive and uh, tender and uh, dominant and, and uh, a lot of things. Most art contains those things. If you look at what what, is, what makes a great film, in my mind, is all great films possess redemption. Uh, they possess war. They possess action. People don't know, 70% of all film revenue come from action. Now, I'm not talking about Jackie Chan or MMA action. I'm talking about Saving Private Ryan. All great movies speak both to women and men and to old and young. Universal themes, love, loss, eroticism. So you want to get all of that into whatever creative endeavor. The other thing is, I think art and movies, novels, whatever it is, they're all should be dedicated to leading us to our better selves. Um, my uh, attempt with the movie was to make a sort of modern-day Tom Jones. I don't know if you know that uh, novel by Thackeray, but it was basically how a young man wends his way through um, England uh, in a very ribald and hilarious, provocative manner. Um, so I wanted something like that for the 21st century, as well as being informative and um, celebrating those people that I think are great and poking fun and uh, harassing those people who I think are crazy and out of their mind. <laughs> Although I love the crazies as much. They won't get that. They make things interesting. Yes, they do. <laughs> they really do. You know, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, that, you know, it must be a blessing to be able to have such a career to where you can write some type of like a documentary memoir about it. How blessed do you feel to be able to have the career that has and, and the knowledge that you've and experiences that you've had to be able to put something like this together? Well, I, I you know, I, I feel blessed on a, a zillion different levels. Um, sometimes I joke around and say it's the curse of a liberal arts education. My parents really advocated uh, advanced education. One of my earliest ways of getting praise from them was to come up with new words and constructions of sentences. So I was sort of groomed to poetic speaking and verbal uh, adeptness early on. Um, my earliest heroes were literature. Uh, people don't really realize the secret to a longevity acting career is the cross disciplines of writing, directing, and producing. All great actors um, know good writing. They all know how to direct and they all know how to produce. Um, you take it doesn't matter what level on the totem pole you are. If you can't get arrested, as Ben Affleck and Matt Damon uh, at one time were, so they wrote Goodwill Hunting. Um, uh, or uh, Mel Gibson at the top of his game, what did he do? He produced and directed Braveheart, Best Picture, uh, Apocalypto, Passion of Christ, um, Sylvester Stallone sent into the hinterland because he was always viewed as, as, as less, less than articulate and skilled. He's immensely skilled and a tremendous director. And uh, so he's his skill set embrace that. Any actor has to, as does any writer, director, or producer, has to know the other disciplines. So yes, I feel very, very, very blessed. 
not just because it insulates me from the vagaries of the business, but because it gives me a psychological sanctuary, if you will, how lucky we are as artists to have some place to put uh, the emotional difficulties of life sometimes, mm -hmm. um, and the exuberance and joy. So um, I always wanted it. I guess I came out of the womb that way, and uh, it's important to me. I think it should be important to any actor. Yeah. So <clears throat> having this career that you've had right now and, and you know all the experiences you've had, what advice would you give somebody that is trying to maybe write a book or maybe they're just trying to get into being an actor or maybe even a musician? Uh, what, what advice would you give to them to follow their dreams? Well, I give the advice to anybody who wants to be a writer, work for a magazine or a newspaper. Um, that way you've got to get up and you've got to deliver the goods. All life is about delivering the goods. Uh, so, excuse me, I was getting a little bit of a sneeze. You, uh, so that professional uh, discipline of working for a something where the writing has to come out, <laughs> excuse me, has to come out, it's very, very good. Um, working for those magazines, I picked up rhythm and leads and and uh, uh, visual uh, compellingness. Um, so that's the writing. The acting, uh, and I'm not saying this jovially, I, you know, I run a mentorship program for what I call entertainment warriors, and uh, if somebody is serious, they should call me because I mean, I'm easily gotten a hold of, but uh, because I don't think there's a lot of people that really have a great deal of integrity in the acting business. What The great problem that young actors have is they're wandering in the wilderness and they really don't know where excellence lies. And the vast majority of acting schools don't teach that and they don't teach what are the really components. They teach scene study. Scene study is about one-tenth of the deal. Uh, to launch a career and to maintain longevity on it. So uh, they should pick up my books if they don't want to call me because I put all of that in the book. Um, uh, I spent many thousands of hours and man hours uh, cultivating all of this stuff. One of the secrets is audition mastery. You know, if you don't become a, a brilliant auditioner, you're not going to get a chance to become a brilliant actor. Mm hmm um, and that's not rocket science. Um, it is creative and involves a lot of artistry, but there's a methodology to it that can be cultivated. And if you do that, you'll do well. That's true. Uh, if the universe and God, whatever you want to call it, wants you to be an actor. Um, the other thing, again, is the cross-disciplines. You, you need to know producing, writing, and directing, as well as acting. You also need to create your own work. One of the reasons I launched my career is I founded a theater company. So what, what does that result in? It results in agents coming to see me work week after week, month after month. If they don't come on the first play, they come on the second or the third. And then they give you a couple of auditions to, to see how you do. And you book those jobs and you go from there. And all of a sudden you're a hot commodity. Yeah. You've got to get that, 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 that basis of skill and unfortunately a lot of great uh, schools or acting academies don't teach that stuff um if you're going to be a filmmaker you need to know the business of filmmaking um so many film schools don't teach that if they even teach you how to make a great film they don't teach you how to do the business of it so you, you let's suppose you come up with a great film you're going to get completely ripped off if you don't know the business. Mm -hmm. Same thing with acting. The whole town, all of Los Angeles, is devoted to taking money from acting. So you need to have a... I was very lucky. There was a guy named John Chillinger. He, he was a longtime actor, 20 years, Brit actor, who was becoming a huge Broadway force. And he served as a mentor for me. And so when I first started out, so I became his assistant director and wrote a play instead of a novel, which I'd taken a break from Time Incorporated to do. And But he could always point me to excellence. 
Um, now, that doesn't mean I didn't hustle on my own. I certainly did. But it helped for him to direct me out of the wilderness. Um, most really great talents reach a point in their life where they want to instruct people and they want to guide them in the realities of their craft. Uh, teaching is a great gift, and I'm very glad that I do it. Well, uh, Patrick, this has been so much fun. I, I, great advice that you've given along. I hope everybody checks out your book. Where can they find it? Dying for Living, Volume 1, Upbringing Sins and Confessions of a Hollywood Villain and Liberty Patriot. Digital is on Amazon. Hardcover is on Amazon. Softcover is on Amazon. Um, hardcover is on Barnes & Nobles. <laughs> Uh, as well as soft cover on Barnes and Nobles, and if somebody wants, uh, we have a, a national tour going on of signings all over the place. If somebody wants an autographed copy and they can't get to one of our events, and they can find out about those events on PatrickKillPatrick.com, but they can also order a, a personalized copy of the book uh, on PatrickKillPatrick.com, and be happy to do that. It'll show you exactly how to do that. You get on the thing. Um, so. Uh, enjoy onward and upward it was great talking to you well thank you for coming on this has been so much fun congratulations on such a wonderful career and now uh, at least a, uh, possibly two books here in just the next couple months we look forward to having you back on hopefully for the second book when it comes out thank you very much you're welcome and me as well alright guys we're going to take a quick commercial break don't go anywhere we'll be right back after this Jason Dowd of Imagination Art Studios is proud to announce the release of his steampunk collection, which is currently on tour across the country. There you will see beautiful handmade masks from Venice, Italy that accentuate beautiful women to create amazing stories and feelings to those who visit the collection. Each photo series has a theme, mask, authentic props, and beautifully elaborate outfits, all collaborated in the mind of Jason Dowd to create the right emotion and feeling. The masks come from a shop at Epcot at the Italian Pavilion, where all these photos are on display for you to see. This is one of the biggest accomplishments of his career having his work at Disney. Come see the beautiful first release of the series, which includes Distressed Dancer, Spanish Serenade, The Pied Piper, and Reaching for the Czars. You can see them in person or online at www.imaginationartstudios.com. For more information, visit the website. Again, it's imaginationartstudios.com. Our Facebook is Imagination Art Studios. Twitter is at Dow Studios. And Instagram is at Jason Dow. Come and be mesmerized by the masks and the stories behind them. Hi, this is Serena Palmer from Radio Rebel, and you're listening to the AME Radio Show. From our family to yours. Season's greetings from the AME Experience. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed our guest today, and I know they enjoyed talking to you, and I enjoyed all of our time together. So thank you guys for coming on, and thank you guys for listening to us. Now, it's getting closer to Christmas. What is your favorite story, and are you ready for Christmas? You know, my favorite memory was when I was about probably seven or eight years old. I wanted to find out if Santa Claus really existed. And so we had a two-story house, and at the top of the stairs, you could look straight down to the front door, and that's where we usually put our, our uh, milk and cookies, so I could see it when I came down in the morning. And uh, this time, I wanted to wait for him, so I went upstairs, and I kind of hid behind the, uh, the door. I made it look like I was sleeping, but I wasn't. And then I got up, and I went and crept around the door, kept looking and looking and looking all night long. Never, ever came. Finally, I ended up waking up in my bed. And uh, the next morning, and I didn't know how I got there, and I went downstairs, and the milk and cookies were gone and eaten. I was really upset. I missed them. I really wanted to see Santa Claus, but I never did. But I, I remember how amazing that felt and what memory it brought. All right, guys. Uh, we're going to be back again next week because I don't have any more this week. We have two shows each week, we have it on Friday now at, at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on amfm247.com and wklap.com every Friday at, new, at 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. Uh, also on Saturday. And then we are also on Radio Love Saturday night, 9 p.m. Uh, that's RadioLUV.com. We're also on iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, and Phoenix Broadcasting.
that's all we got for you guys. We'll be back again next week. Keep those creative juices flowing. Good night, everybody. That's the end. We're done. Calm down, people. Calm down. Okay? That's it.